millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On this week's episode, we discuss Australia's Women's T20 World Cup win and also preview the upcoming Amazon documentary, The Test. To do that, we welcome back someone labelled as the Invisible Man of Australian Cricket and the primary docker cameraman, Andre the Doc Major. Welcome back, Doc. Thank you, Ferris. He's back. Two years. And uh, here for the first time, well, as long, I guess, in two years, uh, cricket.com.au senior content. What's your title? Person? Yeah, that'll do. Close enough. Uh, and, and now, more importantly, he's actually my boss, Doc. Uh, <laughs> How'd that work out? I don't know. Callum Kanonyuk. <laughs> Welcome back, Cal. You're looking great. You're looking really nice. Um, it's a new shirt you got on or something? It's not, no, but I appreciate the compliment. Yeah. Um, great to be back. Great yeah. to be back. This is a little reunion tour, isn't it? it? Is. When was the last time? 2018. So. Yeah. Somewhere in Durban, yeah. right on the hill. Memorable. Uh, did we do one after that? Yeah. No, I was there, but you just ignored me. Oh, that's right. And now look at you, you've, you've done a 180, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, now I've got to live up to expectations. Yeah. Now, uh, Doc, you've been away for a little while, but we start every episode with the MasterCard moment of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this week, we normally ask the, the guests what their MasterCard moment of the week, but I'm taking it out of your hands because it was clearly Australia winning the T20 World Cup on home soil in India by 85 runs at the MCG in front of 86,174 fans. Uh, Alyssa Healy was named player of the match for her. Blistering 75 from 39 balls. Beth Meany was player of the tournament. Uh, five Aussies were named in the team of the tournament uh, from a, a very tumultuous start, losing plays before a ball was bowled, uh, losing the first game, at least Perry going down. The Aussies showed a lot of resilience to win it. It was fantastic, great for women's cricket. Uh, and Callum, you were all over it. Uh, what did that mean to the Aussies and to women's sport? Yeah, it's huge. Um, huge for cricket in general, really. Huge for um, sport across the board. And, yep, the Aussies had no shortage of setbacks and challenges and issues to deal with. This wasn't their, um, you know, in many ways, what we come to expect of a standard Aussie performance of just dominance throughout where they're not challenged and kind of just do as they please. But they were tested. They came out of it better and... Um, their best performance was in the final, which is uh, they always talk about tournament play, and you know the Aussies showed that they had their best for the most important moments, and they were just clinical and ruthless, and just the best in the world. So congratulations to them. I can't think of a, a sporting team that had more pressure on them two years out, saying that the final of the Women's World Cup is going to be at the MCG. They're trying to get a record ninety thousand strong crowd uh, to do that. Australia had to make the final. Uh, they were in a group with India, one of the best teams in the world, uh, and New Zealand, they're great rivals. Uh, they lose that first game. They have a do-or-die effectively quarter-final match against the Kiwis. Then rain comes in Sydney. They get on. They beat South Africa in a really thrilling game and then take on India, who I think maybe got overawed by the moment Australia had won so many World Cups already and with, with so many of those players in the team uh, that had done so and on the big stage, the Aussies. But uh, incredible achievement by Meg Lanning and, and Matthew Mott. Yeah, I really think it was all that pressure 
was so hard to deal with throughout the tournament because the pressure really was on them to make the final. Yeah. Make the final, we'll get a massive crowd, happy days, doesn't really matter what happens from there. They made the final, they did that through all the adversity that came their way. And then I think it was just pressure was off. Yep. They could go out, play cricket. Alyssa Healy comes out first over, starts whacking a few. She's free, she's whacking them. Beth Mooney does a thing and then from there it's... I mean, it was basically game over within first... You could argue the first over, certainly the power play. Um, it was just happy days for the second innings, wasn't it? Just celebrations and every wicket was met by raucous applause from the 80,000-plus fans that were there. And there was a party time after that with Katy Perry, the new mate, the new Australian. We lost one. Perry, we got another one. Yeah. Katy Perry, actually, yeah. Doc, you'll probably best answer this. Um, Katy Perry headlined the Women's World Cup final. Who do you think should highlight the Men's World Cup final in uh, in October, November? Oh. Straight off the top of my head, Elton John. Okay. Uh, as a second pick, Phil Collins. Wow. Do you think that really suits the T20 vibe? In the air tonight? <sighs> Probably not, but I choose Phil mainly because throughout the entire Ashes series, whenever we got onto the bus, we had this driver called Popeye and he played Phil Collins to and from the ground every single day. And it just, I don't know, no one complained. And they retained the Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> so the secret ingredient. There's a small part of that uh, played a big role by the sounds of it. Uh, so the Aussie women, they actually go to uh, South Africa for a six-game series, one day in T20s, then they get a bit of a break. Um, but to them... They're a MasterCard moment of the week. All right, Doc, we haven't got you here just to talk about Phil Collins and Elton John, even though I'm sure you can pass on lots of information about them. I actually watched Rocketman the other day. Have you seen that? No, I've heard good things. Yeah, it's good. It's good. A lot of music. It's, uh, I didn't know it was a musical, but it turns out it is. But uh, <laughs> what a wild life Elton's lived. Um, but you're here because uh, you have been uh, with the Australian team for, what, best part of 18 months now? Yeah, good 18 months inside the... In a sanctum. And it's all for The Test, which is an Amazon Prime uh, documentary. It's going to launch on March 12th uh, all around the world. There's eight episodes. Uh, we've seen it. Uh, it just gets more and more gripping. I really think, I mean, you've got the build-up is fantastic right through. Justin Langer being announced as the Australian coach in the fallout of everything that happened in, on that South African tour. Last time we were together, so it's... Uh, interesting. Well, we what a tour that was. That was a big tour. Uh, right through there, they had... Um, a tour to England, they had a tour um, against Pakistan, mm-hmm. home summer against India, then they went to India, then they went to Pac- uh, the UAE, World Cup, Ashes. Yeah. Doc, you were there for pretty much all of it. Um, yeah, there were some great times and there were some very stressful times. They went 12 months without winning a series and that was a dark time. So let's rewind back 12 months. Uh, Hang on, you're not running the show. I'm... I'm leading this podcast doc let's rewind back 12 months um and start from the beginning mate uh, what was it like you, you you weren't new to the australian team but um what was it like going behind the curtain it was a big surprise that they just allowed me in without any real questions asked so when i first went in uh we were in the uk we we're in london and i said to gav uh, team the manager. team manager yep. said, Gav, um, I, I know there's a meeting on today between the coaches and some leadership group players. What do you reckon if I just went in there and filmed it? And he says, mate, if they tell you to F off, you F off. But go for it. So I go in there. No one tells me to F off. And I sit there a bit stunned because I've got Ricky Ponning in front of me, Graham Hick, Brad Haddon, Tim Payne, Aaron Finch, Glenn Maxwell, Justin Langer, all around the table talking some pretty honest honest sort of mm. discussion between each other 
this goes on for about an hour. Uh, sort of things like, you know, players being ready for, you know, performances, players being fit and ready to play, as you would expect for an international player playing for their country. Yep. Honest feedback on how they're going with their performances, what they need to actually achieve, 300 plus, et cetera, et cetera, uh, where their deficiencies lay. And it gets pretty honest. And I'm sitting there filming all of this and not once do they ask me to stop recording. So I just keep going until the very end. I pack up my gear and I start walking out. Most of the coaches have left except for Tim Payne and JL. And they say, hold on a second, mate. You realise that that content is very sensitive. I said, yes, Justin, I <laughs> yes, certainly <boss>. do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. He goes, okay. And that was it. And from that moment on, it just, uh, my access was never questioned from that point on. Okay. Never once did he ever ask me again, you know, you realise that's really sensitive. Yeah. It just went, from, it was just understood mm-hmm. for the next 18 months. Because the other thing too, Doc, was you toured on the road. You've been around cricket for five, six years, seven years now, always on the other side. Um, you then have to make the move. It was obviously a big move for the team to have someone in and allow them in to see what unfolds, but a big move for you. How did you find that shift from covering the team from an outside perspective and then jumping in? You're right in the middle of it. You are right in the thick of the action. Okay, so being right in the middle of it was the easy part. And filming is the easy part. The stressful part was, okay, how do you contain all this private information? So I had to create a room in my head that where n- none of that information was ever passed on to anyone else. Um, and it just had to be a pretty big room. So it was a vault. You just chucked it in the vault. <laughs> chucked it in the vault and just forgot about it, really. I learned to just forget about it and just take all this in and then just let it move on. I would make some notes for the director. Uh, but... Uh, I guess going from going from what I used to do with CA Digital, I had so Adam Goldfinch, who was already sort of had a foot in the door, and filmed part of the first episode and was actually the original cameraman for this for this project. So for five years, he was a senior cameraman at CA Digital, and led by example from his work with the camera work, his behaviours around the team, and he'd been doing that for five years. So. By the time I stepped in there, I was, you know, basically Adam Goldfinch placed me on a on a silver platter to walk straight in there. We don't need to give Goldie any credit. He's we actually don't know where he is, what he's doing now. But um, we hope he's. You know, I got some. uh, Recently, I told uh, um, Kane Richardson and Adam Zampa that I was coming onto the Unplayable podcast, and their eyes lit up. I said, "Oh, Ferris, isn't he the best?" Like I just don't. I don't want it to end. I, do, I go into the Unplayable podcast. I do not want it to end. A lot of people say that about me about a lot of different things. <laughs> wow. Talking about access, Doc, um, and you said that they would tell you to, to F off if um, they didn't want you around. The were, deal was... Were there, oh, sorry, go on. The deal is, and this was communicated from Gav to the team, that you know, unlike, unless Doc gets it, you know, we won't have a story to tell. Mm. So... It's all very well. You can tell him to F off if you don't feel comfortable and he's got a thick skin. You just tell him to F off. But otherwise, he'll be there filming. Were there any times where you got told to not film this? Oh, there's a couple of times where it was just like things were a bit sensitive. So they just said, oh, well, I wasn't allowed. Only after like, a, I think for an example, let's say, they were losing pretty badly. They'd lost in uh, Durham. 
when they probably should have won. They had two centuries. Sean Marsh and Aaron Finch both got centuries and they still lost the match. Then they that lost. That was the early on, wasn't on. it? That early was on, it. and yeah. Jay was just like, "Look, I just don't. I'd rather you weren't filming in the change rooms today, whilst you know, whilst the players are going through this, you know, poor performance, poor experience." Um, but that was a very much a one-off. So it was like from then on, I think he sort of realised that, you know, unless you film these moments, these dark times, you're not going to really have a story when things are good. So from then on, I, that was pretty much one of the only times I ever got told to. You know, not or not welcomed in the in the sanction, but the vast majority of the whole experience was I was sort of welcomed in, and uh, just made myself invisible. Chose my moments. It's funny you say invisible because uh, I actually asked Manus Labashane. He uh, he spoke about you today, and here's what he said. Honestly, now we don't even see him. I don't even you don't even recognise him. Um, so, it, I mean, that's how close he's come with us as a team and and as players. So it's exciting. That, that it's got to that stage because I think that's what makes it really unique. You get some really unique content and um, you're able to sort of really get behind the scenes because you've got that relationship with the players. You're the invisible man, Doc. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That was Marnus Labashane who's been with the team for a long time now uh, and gone through a meteoric rise. But uh, yeah, you're like that uh, that new hit film out there. His story is really interesting. You haven't seen the film, have you? No. No. Why? Probably not the best comparison. Oh, it's Which film? it's a horror film, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even still, I could see Doc in it. Uh, yeah, Manus, what a ride he's been on. Oh yeah, Manus is a is a unique character. So he came in first game, went out for a duck, and that's all captured in the in the documentary. And then when is, it, when is he coming next for the Sri Lanka series? They absolutely give it to Manus within the team. Like I've never known anyone to cop the more. The whipping boy. The whipping boy, the punching bag. Everyone likes to take the piss out of him. But he just cops it. And he just does it with a big smile on his face. And so people just keep laying on. The, they, they have a lot of fun. It's like a sport, giving crap to Manus. It's fun to see. But um, he's such a strong character. And he showed that at Lords. And what's interesting about his debut or his... Um, first some uh, concussion sub um at lords is that if it weren't for smithy getting hit in the head I- i'm not sure that we'd see manus yeah winning making four centuries making a one day cent- century in the yeah, in the odis it seems like a, an amazing journey but it's all from that one ball from joffre archer really made manus i reckon had he not been you know come in as a, as a concussion sub had smith not got hit in the head we might have seen mitch marsh playing the rest of that Ashes series, and not Marnus. So who knows what could have happened. What's mm. fascinating is that you never know what's going to happen. He has a great little narrative throughout that, doesn't he? As you touched on that test in, I think it was Dubai, where he makes his debut and he scores a duck. And he actually says in the documentary, I'm going to be the guy who doesn't score a test run, gets a baggy green, doesn't score a test run. That's his career done. We obviously know how it unfolds. And that test at Lord's... The way it comes through in the doco is really how he won over his teammates. He was a bit of a wicked boy, and I'm sure they knew he was a, a really good cricketer, but he really won them over with that knock where he kind of defied England and helped mm. secure the draw and got up from being knocked over first ball by Jofra. Um, you know, you can really sense that he, he wins the team over and wins their respect, and 
we obviously know what he's going on to do now. So it's a nice little thread throughout the, the documentary series. There are a couple of good little narratives, aren't there? One of them I was really impressed by was the Aaron Finch one because he was out of form heading into the World Cup and then he really turned the corner in India. But you went all the way back to his place with him. You drove home with him. You are in his house Well, what, with what, him knowing. Yes. Yeah, so I said to him after that match, I said, look, do you mind if I follow you back to your home uh, with you in the car and just follow you, get some vision? He was more than up for it. He said, yeah, 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 for sure. I think he wanted to see a lot of that stuff in this doco. So I just picked my moment and, yeah, last minute just said to him, do you mind if I jump in the car with you? Yeah, sure. So he was quite natural and I didn't really need to prompt him too much. He just talked the whole way home. It was about a half-hour drive. At that time, he was living near the airport, so it was 30 minutes. He spoke most of the way and, you know, he gets me into his house, he's wife's there his dogs are there and um yeah i must have been there till about mm, 12 30 in the morning <laughs> did you stay over or did they, did i always could have they were just like <laughs> what else couch. can i give you what, what else do you want to know and i was like, i think we're done <laughs> i think i got enough yeah great um did you get a sense that i mean he, they talk about it in the doco that he, he might have lost his position there um, yeah he was open about it it may not have made the cut in that in that 30-minute chat, but he was saying things along the lines of, you know, I might might come to a stage where they have to drop me as captain and I might have to, you know, move out of the side to make way for someone else if my form doesn't turn around. It's one of the great bits, I think, they're in India by that point and they're at the team meeting mm-hmm. and they're going around, they're trying to talk about what's wrong and there's, it's almost the elephant in the room. And I think Finchie even says that at one point where he's like, I'm the one who's letting us down, essentially. I can't remember if it was India or at home in the... I think, right. I think it was India. Yeah. And he's basically like, I can't score a run. I'm the captain of the side. I can't score a run. I'm letting us down. And then it just works so beautifully into that India series where he comes out and dominates, gets finds a, his mojo. Gets a 90. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's back again. So just those little nuggets are, are such good value throughout. It is, yeah. It's, it's interesting. We, we almost didn't take a camera and, and go and film that India series. It almost didn't happen because we were originally weren't going to do every single series, but we figured it's best to stay on, just to be there when the when the tide turns. Yeah. So the, that's when everything changed when they when, that, when they won that series. The interesting thing about being inside the camp like this is that you realise that some of the stuff they like it's pretty serious. I guess he's the ODI captain, he's representing the country, but there's a lot of times when you see them just being quite, you know, they're able to take the piss out of themselves. So there's a moment in the Big Bash final that year finchie has gone out and he belts a plastic chair and um on the way down it was caught on the cameras and she's they all they all took the piss out of me for that and um when we were in hyderabad i made this video for him for his instagram page and it was just like a collection of him hitting a few shots in slow motion it was a nice sunny day afternoon the sun was perfect and he was just belting balls hitting sixes and just re- sort of just range hitting and then uh, Zampa came to me and he said, mate, i got an idea for you, just for the team meeting, just for a laugh. Could you substitute the ball with a white plastic chair <laughs> and we'll show it in a team meeting? <laughs> and I was like, I let it go for two days. And then we're at the end of a T20, finished the match, won the series. I'm in the change rooms, filming away. Zampa goes, hey, Doc, come over here. Did you do that video? I said, mate, he's the captain. I can't do it. And he goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. No, this is, this is for us. 
I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, wasn't sure I could do it in the in the uh, in the edit, but it did. It was easy actually. Substituted and I found a white plastic chair. And <laughs> substitute. We did some work and post in the edit and substituted a white plastic chair for the cricket ball. And so he's hit a plastic chair <laughs> in <laughs> slow motion about seven times. And wow, yeah, it went down very. It was got some huge laughs in the team meeting. JL loved it. Are so these little aspects, insights. This doesn't actually get shown in the doco, but these are the kind of things that get left on the cutting room floor. Now you're the you're the chief laugh factory, aren't you? Because you also do the joke of the day. Yeah, did, not how, always successfully. Well, I was going to say. How Sometimes did, they're laughing at me. How did that come about? Because I, I remember talking to you. I think it was first day, first test of the Ashes, and you've just delivered the joke of the day, and I'm standing like 20 meters back, and everybody's lost it. Everyone's laughing. I think you've just handed the camera to Steve Waugh, like, here you go, Tucker, film this. I go, how good was that? And he goes, oh, I, I stuffed the punchline up. What, what have been some, some of your, your better and, and worst jokes? I had a, well, that one in particular, that's a big stage event. And, and it, I was known for being sort of like big time player when it comes to the jokes. Big performer, really? Yeah, so when, it, when the pressure was on, I'd, I'd often deliver. <laughs> but day one, Edgbaston Ashes series, I got to the punchline. And I've just blanked. And Warner's just gone berserk. He's just started laughing his head off at me, pointing at the finger. Smithy's just laughing. His head's gone back and everyone's just blew up. And I've just gone, oh, I don't actually know the punchline. Sorry, guys. And they thought that was, some people thought it was part of the joke. <laughs> but no, I'd actually forgotten the punchline. And a lot of people came to me afterwards, like Ricky Ponting was commentating, I think, at that stage. And he, he, he came over and he said something like, geez, whatever you told that day. <laughs> That must have been an amazing <laughs> Absolute joke. zinger. So, look, they're all kind of rude, I guess. They're not, they're not really appropriate jokes sometimes. Okay, well, you can't share them. But they're not. You know, I draw the line at racism. I draw the line at misogyny. They're just crude. Yeah, okay. Um, and, yeah. yeah uh, they like the story jokes. So, it's more about the delivery. Okay. How it came about? I was in a cafe in Manchester on my first tour covering this doco and Justin Langer happens to be in the cafe having breakfast with a journo. And uh, as he's leaving, I said, oh, JL, i got something for you. And he leaned over the table and just looked at me like with these sort of really serious eyes. And I said, he says, what do you got? <laughs> and uh, I said, I've got a joke for you. And his eyes just lit up, had this big smile. He whacked his hands together and he goes, oh, wow, man. When do you, when do you want to do it? Do you want to do a training session or do you want to do it at the big dance? Said, I'll take the big dance. Oh, yes, wow. dog. <laughs> and um, the punchline of the joke is just, I don't have to tell you the whole story, but the punchline of the joke was Smee again. Basically, that's the last line. And uh, so that went down really, really well. It was like a story joke. And uh, yeah, that went well. Brilliant. Uh, who Whose um, opinions change in your mind? Like you would have gone in there with some preconceived ideas about what the players are like dealing them from a media side of things getting to know them better did anybody um did anybody did your opinion of anyone change did they did anyone oh, sort yeah. of surprise you with any yeah so um i guess the the biggest one for me would be steve smith because he did so many press conferences as captain yeah so i formed an opinion around him just because he did so many press conferences he was good at press conferences but he was good at mainly sort of being able to... Playing the straight bat. Playing the straight bat. Yeah. Yeah. But behind the scenes, he's quite an excitable character. 
and you know has is passionate about things like astrology he's passionate about films he can quote a lot of um, movie quotes from 1988 or Home Alone onwards. He loves Home Alone, he doesn't he? Home Alone. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a quite an interesting character. He's into oat milk. He's into New York City. So we really bonded around New York City. We got both got a love love with uh, the city of New York. And uh, yeah, so he, that was quite surprising that he was um, quite a, quite quite an, an innocent, amiable kind of open, uh, excitable, fun person. And you were in the final line a fair bit too, weren't you? Because some of the shots, like the players come in, they're throwing helmets down, they're throwing bats around. Were you uh, ever in danger of getting hit by any of these things or were you strategically placed? My first experience this, I was close to getting hit and it terrified me. My first experience was in Durham. Aaron Finch had just scored a century, went out next ball. And so I was expecting something a bit more congratulatory. Mm. Um but this was the first time I saw a player blow up. Uh, he's walked into the room and just blown up, like, you know, swore, and then threw the bat. And I was just dropped the camera and walked out of the room. And I was, I, sh- I, I just, I, I was terrified. But by the time we got to the World Cup about a year later, you know, I'm filming players within a meter. And, you know, there are some big blow ups. You know, mainly what they what they might do is just, you know, take off a pad and whack it down on a on their bag or whack a bat down on their bag or something like that. Um, yeah, it can get pretty pretty wild sometimes. So you get used to it. Now the climax of the series really does come on those last two episodes, which is the Ashes and the Headingley Test match. Extraordinary watching it live and then reliving it. I don't know about you, Cal, when you watched it again, but I was like nervous again watching it. I was on edge going... I thought the Aussies were going to win. Oh, well, I was going... They could do it. I figured... I thought Lion, Lion's going to take that clean. Surely and he's going to run you know, out. Surely. Oh, Easy. You're just thinking, how do they lose this game? It's just you're on edge and Stokes players those shots. Extraordinary. What was it like for you being in the, in the um, coach's room there in the viewing box? Because uh, we see JL, he loses it a little bit. Steve's missing there playing, not playing because of concussion. Um, can you describe the, the atmosphere and the, the feeling like in there in those closing moments? Well, it's, I was just sick in the stomach. My prediction was that we'd win by 15 runs. Mm. That we'd, or we'd get to 15, 15 runs away and then that's when we'd get the wicket. So, um, <laughs> and then we got to nine runs and I'm about to throw up. <laughs> um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm just basically, I didn't, couldn't see what was going on because my eye was through the viewfinder yeah. pointing at Steve Smith and JL, Dean Hills and everyone else in the coach's box. So I thought that Tim Payne had missed a stumping chance. That's what I suspected. It wasn't until about an hour later that I saw the replay and that it was a missed run out from Nathan Lyon. Yeah. And I was I was stunned. Um, I felt sick. I just felt sick. Yeah. And when, it, when, you know, JL got up, kicked the bin, put everything back in the bin, I, I didn't think that would make the light of day. Mm. Yeah. He, he was questioned about that. But yeah, uh, he spoke about it in South Africa and he said that was one of the bits where he, he didn't want it in there. Um, but he spoke with Adrian, the director, who said, well, no, it's great because 
yes, it's great vision, but also the thing you do immediately after is go back and pick up every bit of rubbish and put it back in the bin and set up the bin again and watch watch the cricket, watch the rest of the test. It was quite extraordinary in the middle of you know one of the most tense oh. moments that you could possibly imagine as a cricket coach. I think you couldn't, like you had to have it in there. Yeah, yeah. Because every moment that unfolds in that last wicket stand between Leach and Stokes is shown. So you can't get to like that moment yeah. and then not show what happened. You kind of had to. And it was just as well he put everything back in the bin. Mm. Because it really sums up the character of the guy. Yeah. Of course, you know, you're going to, you have to, <laughs> oh. the lid has to be blown at some point. Yeah. Oh, you can't, you can't keep that volcano from erupting. <laughs> but it, it's, um, I think he spoke for all of us when he kicked the bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a, a nation collectively kicking a bin, yeah. I think, watching that. Exactly. He but spoke for all of us. It's extraordinary that whole, um, basically the first half of the episode, isn't it? The the final episode, um, episode eight. You just you're just gripped by it. You you're absolutely stunned about what's happening and the access that you have and the emotion on the players, and obviously the Nathan Lyon moment. The players coming off after one of the most tense defeats, I guess, of their careers, and then we go into the next day. Yeah. Well, just before that. Tim Payne's address to the team before he goes to the press conference. And he's like, you know, oh, well, you've got to watch it. But he just, in summary, he just says, we've stuffed up. We know we've stuffed up. We can still win it. We've got to win the next one. And then he goes off. And then, as you were saying, Cal, the the, um, the analysis. Because oh. they, they replayed the last hour in front of everybody the next day, which must have been extremely confronting. Especially for Nathan Lyon. I think he probably felt sick again watching that. You could see on his face. He sat at the back of the room watching that replay, and he he was yeah. I think he was feeling pretty bad. Oh yeah, and um, I think you know this whole doco is made for that that moment, that test match itself. Like just, yeah. just pay for the whole thing. It's just extraordinary. It makes you think that every sporting team should have a a doco made about them, or at least a cameraman filming everything behind the scenes because. It's just gripping television. Yeah, there's the, the Nathan Lyon bit of that meeting, but then also the exchange between Payne and Langer, which we won't spoil. You got to see it. Yeah, in episode eight, but just so honest and open, confronting in front of the whole group. You can tell the frustration is still yeah. there. They hadn't let it go at that point. It's oh. but knowing what we know now, where they go on to win the next test and they retain the Ashes for the first time in um, so long, you can almost just see that as such a pivotal moment in that series, and they. You know, Tim Payne and Justin Lang and those guys clearly sense that as a pivotal moment, did everything in their power as leaders of that team to yeah. kind of bring them together and overcome that pain of... He was Tim Payne was amazing after that loss at Headingley. A lot of people just sat there kind of just morbid, just sat there with their heads down. Tim Payne didn't, though. He, he went around his business like it was no different from any other match. And he was had this upbeat mood about him. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I, th- that was amazing. Amazing. He's a real sort of, I think, a leader of men. Yeah. What an amazing situation he finds himself in. You know, like going to work for Kookaburra, then he plays the Ashes, then <laughs> yeah. he's captain, and he's dragged astray through what's been, you know, rock bottom, so to speak. But uh, extraordinary. And then you're actually at the centre of controversy at the end of the uh, the fourth Test match with the whole um, Jack Leach. They, they didn't they take your glasses when Steve Smith was said yeah, to be did. impersonating Jack Leach out in the middle but it was meant to be Bucky Rogers or something like that. Yeah, look, I think he... I, I sort of missed it, but um, I think he see. was... Uh, I I really was. But basically, when I'm filming those moments, I'm worried about beer getting all over my camera. Mm. 
And in that moment, there was beer all over my camera and I was, I, I was trying to wipe it off. So I wasn't actually listening to what was actually going on because there was beer being thrown all over the place. What I heard was that he was impersonating um, Chris Rogers because he does look like Chris Rogers when he's got glasses on. But yes, he did take my glasses off me and and put them on and I think he regretted that ever since because of the controversy that, that followed and I don't think Smithy likes any controversy. No, no, it was all a bit tongue-in-cheek. I think it got blown up a little bit too much there. But uh, and, and there's one scene that we won't talk about but it's one of the most heartwarming, very funny moments in the whole series is the uh, the celebrations in the Manchester change rooms after they win. They mm-hmm. reenact the final wicket. They reenacted the final two wickets. Final two wickets, but we won't we won't spoil it. But it's it's it's, it's really <laughs> funny. It's what's amazing is how much they get into it in the change rooms. Oh yeah, like they celebrate in this reenactment as much, if not more so, than what they did on the park. Yeah. The crazy thing is these aren't big change rooms. Like there's a lot of people in a small space. Yeah. Just throwing bodies around, alcohol going everywhere. There is the time of their nowhere lives. to put a bag. If you're a support staff member, there is nowhere to put your staff. Yeah, um, it, it is very. There are very. They are very tight change rooms for the visitors. You go into the home side change rooms, and they're huge. It's a funny quirk in the UK. Mind games. It's all about mind games. The one thing I will say about that that um, Mitch Marsh was really dirty that he had to play the role of Craig Overton because he. Did. <laughs> Doesn't rate uh, Craig Overton as a, the best-looking bloke and sort of rates his own looks. So. <laughs> Back down to earth, the poor yeah, old Mitch. He was dirty about that. Um, but Doc, uh, amazing job. Seriously, uh, your insight. Uh, you're the Invisible Man. Go and watch that film too. Apparently, it's really great. Uh, <laughs> after the doco. After the doco. So what's what? What else has been keeping you busy, Doc? When you're not in the change rooms with well, the Australian cricket team. Luckily, Steve War. Uh, seeing me do my thing when he was a mentor with Through the Out the Ashes, he rang me the day I got back from the Ashes, got home. He rang and said, would you like to join me on an 18-day trip to India? He's putting together a uh, 350-page photographic book and he's learning to be a photographer himself. Wow. And take pictures of the spirit of cricket in India. So I'm producing that. And, yeah. A couple of other bits and bobs. The one thing I was going to ask you, which I forgot, was were there any moments where you were starstruck because you didn't grow up as a big cricket fan but you're rubbing shoulders with some of the greats of the game were there any moments where you just sort of pinch yourself what am I doing here um, yes there were yes uh, my knowledge of cricket is as good or less than Donald Trump's knowledge of cricket so you know how to pronounce the names at least <laughs> yeah just <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of times when I was amazed at what I was filming and just pinching myself I wouldn't say starstruck because I didn't grow up idolising cricket. I was well aware of what was going on and of the careers of like Booth, Steve Waugh, Mike Hussey, can't, can't bat, can't bowl. You know, I was aware of everything that was going on. I just wasn't a fan. Mm. I actually was a big fan of the 12th man. Loved listening to him. Mm. But the idea of sitting down and watching cricket was not worth missing out a surfing session at the beach. I thought that was crazy to sit down and watch TV when you could be out there in the sun catching waves. Uh, so I grew up playing a bit of baseball, actually, living in Tokyo, Japan for three years. So I did skip a lot of the cricket. We don't want your life story, Doc. Just so there were times, no, right? There were, sorry, okay. went off on a tangent. Yeah. But there were often times when I was starstruck by the raw emotion that they, that was on display in front of me. Okay. So there were times, especially when Nathan Lyon was, had come in, he often has to bat 10 or 9 and 
he's often the one who has to walk in back to the sheds after after a lost test match. Mm. And the raw emotion on his face, the raw emotion on Kawaja's face when he did his hamstring in the World Cup, I'm sitting there just amazed at what I was filming. Wow. Does Brad Hogg feature in the docker at any point? I wish. He did visit us in Perth during an ODI series against South Africa that doesn't make the cut because it's a very forgettable series. Mm. Uh, and he did talk to the group and I filmed that. Unfortunately, no. doesn't make the cut. Brutal. Is he still your favourite player? Nathan Lyon's now my favourite player. Wow. Because Maxi was up there too, wasn't he? Maxi was way up there. Yeah. But now it's, now it's the GOAT. Now it's the GOAT. The GOAT is my favourite person. That's a hell of a podium. Yeah. Goat, oh. Maxi, Hoggy. <laughs> Top that. I think they could still break in Brad Hogg for the next World T20. Yeah, all right. That's another docker in itself. Yeah. <laughs> the Hogg files. Yeah, jeez. Get the crystal ball out. Um, Cal, where can we watch? Where can fans watch this? Amazon Prime videos or Plastigo. So it comes out Thursday, uh, March 12. Now, I think it comes out at basically 12.01 a.m. So if you mm. want to stay up super late Wednesday and just churn through it before you go to work next day like i'm not going to tell you not to because yeah. it's your own life and you can do what you want to do so you're my boss not theirs that's right yeah um but yeah uh, i think you you can get a free trial with amazon yes, prime you get a 30 day free trial so yep. you can binge it in 30 days yep um just get an account or you could let the subscription roll over and enjoy i guess what else amazon has to offer well, that's bag. what they bank on a bit of flea bag you seen flea bag doc seen the boys boys seen is good too flea bag i haven't seen the boys Yep. Worth a, look. a lot of good quality content on there. Yeah. I'm watching now. Amazon Prime, the test documentary, eight eps. Eight episodes. Each one better than the last. I think it's fair to say. It just, it just builds. It's great. Doc, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Fez. Thanks, Cal. Thanks, Doc. All right. That's it for oh, this. I'm Sam. Oh, thanks, boss. That's it for this. Did I tell you you're looking really good? That's, uh, that's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. We'll be back next week. So in the meantime, for all your cricket news, live scores, and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.